I was uh, when we're seeing pink and tremble, death is upon the roads. I was looking at my brother Felix. I don't know why, <laughs> but he was seeing me. He was think and tremble, think and tremble. Death is upon the road. Oh, yeah. I was like, hey, brother, see, death is now upon the road. <laughs> um, praise be to God for this time together, dear friends. Let us uh, turn our attention to God's word. We are still in Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 from verse 4 to 5. That is where we'll spend our time together. But I'll read from verse 1 and anchor on 4 to 5 in the word of God today. Let us read together as we seek help from the Lord to understand His word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to stand before your people. Would you remind me of this? Empower me with the Holy Spirit, even as I expound your word. May I be the mouthpiece of the Almighty God and know that I'll be held accountable. Pray for the hearers that even as they seek to listen to the word that they may pick up lessons to apply to their very lives and that they may struggle with many different things in these areas but I pray that they may see the word of God for what it is pray that you may be gracious to us all and if there's anyone in here who does not know you today, may, they, may today be a day of salvation. And we trust that, oh God, you will save your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I looked at this text, I thought to myself, what is there to learn? What is there to learn? But as I began investigating verse 4 and 5 I asked myself from the text of scripture what is God's mission for us here on earth 
Maybe this is the question which you ask yourself, really. What is God's mission? What is God doing? Why are we here? Who are these people? What does God want to achieve? And how will God achieve it? And this, I believe, is actually captured in these two verses in Jonah. Where we are told Jonah, after having been forgiven by the almighty God, was then given a second commission or second marching orders to go and do what God had called him to do. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. If God doesn't love people so much, why would he go to such lengths to save them from sin? Why would God send his son to come and die for you and I? Even as we read in the Psalm, Psalm 8, which says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Why would God bother himself with a sinner like Jonah who wanted to run away from a missions trip? He didn't want to share the word of God with sinners. But when we see the background of the book, it brings us to speed as to what is happening. We know first that God sent Jonah, the son of Amittai, chapter 1, verse 1. Secondly, we know that Jonah immediately disobeyed God, chapter 1, verse 3. We know that Jonah was then thrown into the seas because of the storm that had arisen because of his sin. Fourthly, we know that Jonah was then swallowed up by a fish which was appointed by God, chapter 1, verse 17. And then we know that Jonah then prayed to God and God delivered him. Now, when the portion where Jonah has been commissioned afresh and we have already looked from verses 1 to 3 as a church together about two weeks back having seen the discipline uh, that brings obedience we now see now the mission of God on earth what God has sought to do in the whole scheme of things and despite friends the terror the corruption the sin the anarchy in this world god continues to do what he sought to do and this is calling a people to himself who are hostile to him they are unfaithful to him they are rebellious but still he does it he still pursues, he's still on this mission of saving people. Thus, friends, the, the, the title of my sermon is God's Mission on Earth. And I want you to go back home today with a different understanding of what God is doing. Firstly, I want you to see from verse 4a that God's mission on earth involves his people. That's the first thing. The second thing I want us to see is that God's mission on earth involves or is centered around 
preaching as for B. And then in verse 5, I want us to see the products of God's mission on earth. The products. So firstly, we look at his people. His people. Verse 4a, look at the word of scripture. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. We observe in the text of scripture that God's mission to redeem a people for himself and grow his children is that he uses his own people. In this case, here, the subject of focus is Jonah, the son of Amittai. And the hard work of doing God's work had commenced. And Jonah whether the text means that he went through the city in one day or preached to them the next day after the arrival, we conclude that what he was doing was hard work, especially after facing the consequences of disobedience. However, we observe that God uses his people. Jonah was the mouthpiece of God. To all in that day. And we, and we can happily conclude that though disobedient, though stiff-necked, he was a part of God's people. I, I want to give some Old Testament examples that God actually uses people for his work, for his mission to redeem mankind. As early as Exodus 3, we see God's dealings with Moses, who had been sent to redeem God's people from Egyptian bondage and slavery. See that God uses people in this grand mission. Another example is this, Joshua, who was commanded to take over from Moses and take the Israelites to the promised land. One who was told by God, and I quote Joshua 1.6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. We see, friends, God uses his people. What about the call of Gideon? Judges 6, and I'll read from verse 11 to 14. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, or Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abysrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Verse 13, And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, And did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel. From the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? 
right at the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, we hear him saying, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. What about New Testament examples? We all know the Great Commission, right? And I'm sure all of us can recite it off by heart. So I'll skip that one. Acts 1.18 This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before the ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We also see, dear friends, church history examples. And I deliberately chose David Livingston, who lived in 1830 to 1873. He was a medical missionary with the London Missionary Society. He was born in Scotland in 1813, but spent most of his life in Africa as an explorer and doctor, coupled with his love for the Lord and desire to spread the gospel. Livingston used his understanding of nature and science to help him map much of Southern Africa. Livingston never stayed long in any, in any one place. He was driven to the map of, of the, so he was driven to the map, to map the continent of Africa in preparation for the many missionaries who would come after him. Livingston was beaten by a lion. Do you know that? He was beaten by a lion. I think he took some of his shoulder and he was crippled for life. He went on preaching the gospel. He even got uh, sick, bitten by flies. But wanting to preach the gospel, you hear people say, no, 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 these are detractors. He's considered one of the greatest missionary heroes. God used his life to open doors for the gospel. Now, dear friends, we see in our text of scripture that Jonah was sent on a mission. To preach the word of God to a people. Though it was hard, he was obedient to the call and command of God. And if you are a child of God, this is indeed what you are called to do. If you are a child of God, his mission on earth is to redeem people through you. It doesn't matter whether you're a preacher, whether you're the usher, whether you're the sweeper in the congregation, whether you are the housewife, you are called to share the good news of God. You are called to share the gospel such that people like Mike and his wife can hear it. And come to the saving knowledge of Christ. They came because someone shared it to them. What a grand purpose. It's 
bigger than us. It's bigger than our thinking. It's bigger than what we wake up and envision. Because our vision usually, I just wake up and go to work and make money and pour fuel. We don't think that every day we wake up is an opportunity to be used of God for this grand purpose. It's an opportunity to meet anyone and say, listen, dear friend, have you heard the good news of the gospel? Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We see, dear friends, in verse 4b, that God's mission on earth will be accomplished through preaching, <laughs> not through conquest. <laughs> it will be accomplished through preaching. Jonah preached possibly the shortest sermon in the Bible. Jonah was a herald from God's own command. He was to announce the message. He was to preach the word in season and out of season. His preaching was clear, simple, and not up for debate. His preaching mirrored that of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 2. And when I came to you, brethren, brothers, did not sorry, I did not come proclaiming proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided not sorry I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and whom him crucified Jonah's preaching mirrored the preaching of Christ when he first entered the scene of his earthly ministry Mark chapter 4 sorry Mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 15 now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his, 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 his sermon. Jonah didn't come with fairy tales or folklore. He didn't come with fables or fantasies. He did not come with fanaticism or jokes. He didn't come with stories or comedy. He didn't come with feel-good stories or drama. He delivered the word of God as it was. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Ninevites and their darling city. Their darling idols. Their impurity, much, much like Harare, if, for example, a messenger would come and, and, and announce that yet 40 days and Harare will be overthrown, wouldn't those with their lovely mansions in Borodale be struck by fear? Wouldn't those with their lovely SUVs be disappointed, despairing and downcast? Wouldn't they panic? Listen to John Gill as he comments. He says, 
on the phrase yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown not by a foreign army beseeching and taking it which was not the prob- which was not probable to be done in such a space of time but by the immediate power of God either by fire from heaven as he overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah the word of God the preaching of God's word is the means through which God will accomplish his mission on earth God will not accomplish his mission on earth through conquests it is through preaching heralding announcing repent for the kingdom of God is at hand live your life of sin turn away you stiff-necked people turn away from idols turn away from worshiping worthless foolish things I want to sort of bring it home really get into the hearts of people that when we speak of God using preaching to accomplish his mission here on earth we are speaking of for example sharing the gospel in your sphere of influence this kills the guilt that others put on others what am i saying for example you have people who come in the name of jesus and make you look like you're doing nothing for the kingdom of god they will say that if you don't evangelize to 10 people today or per week you're not leaving out the great commission though friends many people were converted through jonah's short sermon they'll put pressure on you you're not preaching the gospel you should be preaching to five people per week if you're not doing so you're not part of the great commission they'll tell you show us numbers you know but the point is you must share the gospel where god has put you that is being part of god's mission because people have got a, a grand idea of missions they've got a, an overrealized idea of evangelism they think that just because jonah did it you can do it also it's not impossible it's not impossible just because jonah stood on a podium or went through the city and evangelized the idea is that if you're to stand in the middle of harare and and, and preach that people will be converted second example this is on the flip side of the coin not all your preaching will result in a revival <laughs> not all your preaching will reside will, will result in thousands falling and receiving christ as our charismatic uh, opponents like to uh, sell that is not revival that one soul dear friends 
That one soul in 10 years who has been converted to Christ is fulfilling God's mission here on earth. Luke 15 verse 7. Jesus was telling a parable. But he ends it here. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What Jesus is saying is that don't be too idealistic in your view of evangelism. As long as it is day and as long as it is today, if you have a, 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 if you have an opportunity, preach the word. Do not feel guilty that you are driving all the way from Nyanga and you have passed 100 million souls over the way and say, oh no, I didn't preach the gospel today. <laughs> There's some people who feel guilty. Oh, you know, pastor, as I was coming from Mutare and I was just driving into Harare, I passed hundreds and hundreds of souls and I couldn't even preach. And they feel guilty. But friends, that one soul, that one young man who needs your help, that one young woman who needs the gospel, share. Share. That neighbor who seems to have loud music playing every day, take them to task. And of course, friends, we are not to go into the other extreme of hyper-Calvinism, where we do not evangelize at all and just say, God will save whom he will save. But I want us to see, fourthly, as I bring it home, that Jonah did not use fancy words or clever words. He did not even use underhanded tactics. He kept it simple. He just said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Sometimes we want to complicate the gospel. Sometimes we stinge people the, the true word of God. We want to infuse isms, systematic theology. That, that's very good. But go and tell the person what Jesus has done. And go and tell that person how they must respond to what Jesus has done. This is who Christ is. Jesus is the very God of very God. He left the courts of heaven and was born of a virgin. He, he, he tabernacled amongst us, amongst us. John 1 verse 14 says, And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. The word there dwelt means tabernacled. As with the Israelites in the desert, as they were staying in tents. And then Jesus lived a sinless life. He was tempted. He healed people of diseases as, 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 as signifying the fact that he could heal you of your worst disease, which was sin, or which is sin. By his stripes, we are healed. That's what, that's what that verse means. We are healed of the worst infirmity of all, sin. <laughs> Yes, there are other infirmities like leprosy. But salvation is of the heart, the soul. To redeem the soul from damnation. And then you go and present the, the crucifixion. The pain of the Savior. That the Savior took upon your sin. Galatians 3.13 it is written, cursed is one who is hung on a tree. He took upon your sin. And, th and thus, if you believe in him, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have eternal life. So if you believe in that, you just need to believe. There's nothing you can do to the crucifixion. There's nothing you can do to the resurrection. There's nothing you can do to work yourself up to God. You need to believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Christ. And you have eternal life. Simple. Simple message. But you go out there and you hear people speaking gimmicks, jokes, deliverance. Keep it simple. Share the gospel. And I think sometimes... The reason why we are ashamed to share the gospel is because we think we can save. We think it is in my eloquence and my speech that will convert the person. And so, well, I don't think I can convince them today. <laughs> I can convince them today. It's not up to you. You don't convince anyone. You're not God. That's, that's heresy. <laughs> if you think you can convince someone of the gospel, that's heresy. Preach. Leave the results to God. But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love which we loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. I want us to see, dear friends, God's grand mission on earth in the third place. In fact, before I even go to the third place, I want to make a statement. 
that this should radically shift our minds from looking at our own circumstances and looking at what God is doing in the scriptures and applying it to real life. This means that number one, the work that you do should have missions at the forefront. So what am I saying? Whether you design, are you designing so that you earn money, so that you go or you send or you pay your pastor? Whether you're going to work in the morning, you say, I'm a lawyer. Are you living the life that will see you going there to be a light? Where there's corruption, you are the one who's shining the light. Where everyone is taking bribes, you're saying, I'd rather I'll be fired. Rather I'll be fired from this because this is not what God has called me to do. He has called me to be a missionary unto you. You need the gospel. You need to be set free. From sin. What about sporting activities? What about recreation? Does that change our mindset? That even in recreation, we are thinking missional. Even in, 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 in as we sit down in a restaurant and eating, you are thinking, Lord, what can I do to share the gospel in this place? Is it maybe speaking to that woman who's got a child, striking up a conversation and then leading to the gospel? Because there are people say, well, pastor, uh, I'm introverted. I don't speak to anyone. Well, you're missing out. <laughs> you're missing out on God's grand plan. Oh, what about our statuses? What we share? You know? Do we share with the with a view to convince people of Christ. Where people are sharing jar praise and people twerking and, and all those things. What about you? What about you? That farmer, that worker on your farm, your garden boy, See, the problem is that we've been wired to think, well, we're just supposed to share the gospel with the, the ones who are deserving. And in our minds, we create those people. Let us see the product of God's mission on earth from verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Dear friends, the product of God's mission in faithful preaching is the precious souls that are Christ's. All of them who are different in struggle, different in, temp- in testimony. They all belong to Christ. 
Thus the Ninevites repented, the ones whom Jonah did not want to go to. The ones with Jonah grumbled about later on in chapter 4 are the same people that God wanted. <laughs> They're the, same, the, the people whom you don't want in the church are the people that God wants. Amen. Amen. The people whom you think these ones are not fit to be saved are the people that God saves. The people whom you think the least likely of are the ones that God saves. Remember Christ said I came for the ones who are sick. <laughs> and the ones who are righteous I did not come to. I don't come for the righteous. I came to heal the sick. The ones who know that they're, they're spiritually bankrupt. They're sinners. All are precious. And this will, even as pastors, this should change our mindset. When we look at faces in the congregation, when we look at different people, you look at someone like Felix, and you say, this is, this is God's child. Tapiwa, Laura, Clive, Majuta, you say, this is God's child. Christ has saved the soul. Isn't that beautiful? Once in sin, dead in trespasses, a foreigner, steeped in idolatry and drunkenness, never wanted to hear of the gospel. But as you were in your natural state, God found you. And this is why, dear friends, we must preach because we don't know who God is going to save. John MacArthur never knew that Laura would be listening to his sermon. He doesn't know. Probably doesn't know you. Mike, same thing. But that's it. We are not only saved from sin, we are being saved from God's wrath. And God's wrath, like Sodom and Gomorrah in the times of Noah, was about to be unleashed on the Ninevites. And that's why Jonah said, yet 40 days. And friends, it doesn't really matter where you think, well, you know, did the Ninevites really repent and trust in God? Or was their repentance because of fear? And I would say to you, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> the people who have been saved on sermons on hell. Real hell, real fear. Fearing the wrath of God. 
And saying, let me run to God himself. It doesn't really matter. The people emphasize, oh, just preach the love of God. Preach the love of God and people will come. Don't preach wrath. Nonsense. Nonsense. God saves you from his wrath. You see the horrors of eternal damnation. And you say, I don't want that. (laughs) I want to burn in hell. I want to burn in anguish, crying out and saying, help, help. And there's no one to help. But I also want you to see, even as we uh, almost conclude, that the gospel or the truth of God's message involves repentance. I think it's very important. Because Jonah says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And we see verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. So when they believed God, what happened? They called for a fast. That's what the text says. And put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a, 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 a practice in which they put sackcloth on their face. Well, sackcloth and ash. And were in mourning. They were disdaining the state they were in. They were crying out to God. It was surrendering. We are nothing. So repentance is very much part of the package. And we, we see, dear friends, that there has to be hell before there is heaven. <laughs> there has to be hell before there is heaven. You need to be shown the horrors of sin, the bad news, and then the good news. They humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God. And this is the God's mission on earth. That one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. That day, that wonderful day for for. For us who are Christians, that wonderful day when our Lord returns and we see him and we behold him as he is, every knee shall bow. Those who have responded to the gospel with faith and repentance will do so gladly and willingly. I will bow to my Savior. Those who have hardened their hearts to the call of the gospel will do so with great fear and trembling because it will be too late. It will be too late, dear friends. There's nothing so terrifying for for you with phobias of spiders and all those things. There's nothing so terrifying than even envisioning that I could have believed in Jesus Christ when I had the time. I could have repented when I had the time. When that preacher man was preaching, I could have turned, turned away from sin and believed in Christ. But now the door has been shut. I, 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 I had the opportunity. I, I 
spend it because I was thinking of lunch, thinking of entertainment, thinking of sin. Instead of believing and beholding Christ and saying, this is my Savior. One day, every knee shall bow. But till then, dear friends, let us hold fast to God's mission on earth. Let us hold fast to what he's doing. And let us do it until we die. Amen.